Let us pray. Loving God, we give you thanks for your servant James, for his faithfulness, for his encouragement to the early church and to us as we seek to do your will as your followers today. Bless this time of reflection. Open our hearts and minds. Help us to hear the message you want to give us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. James gets right to the point in his letter. After introducing himself, the first thing he says is this, a piece of advice. Whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Well, that's a bit hard to hear, isn't it? First out. But he jumps straight into it because the early Christians to whom he was writing faced trials of many kinds, many much worse than we could even imagine. Now, last week we spoke about James posing the question, what happens when we are bumped in life or by life? So James is saying here, this is what life is like. How should we best deal with it? Now he talks about whenever you face, and the word is actually, it could be interpreted to say, whenever you fall into trials of any kind. Now there are tests or trials or temptations all around us and we're going to fall into them on a regular basis. He doesn't say if, he says when. Now the dual meaning of the word parasmos, which is trials and temptations, is quite important here. And it's the same word that's picked up in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, parasmos, temptations and trials, those times in life when we get bumped quite, quite hard. Some trials in life are really hard. They knock us for six and they take all our resources to manage and to keep going. And I'm not wanting to downplay tragedy or minimise pain in any way. Please don't hear me saying that. Other trials we experience feel hard at the time, but when we look back, we realise that they weren't so bad. And with both kinds of trials, the hope for us as Christ followers is that there will come a point somewhere down the track where we can see how good came out of it, despite the pain. I always think of Joseph in this point, Joseph who went through so much and at the end of it said, what others intended for bad, you brought good out of, Lord. As a Christian, we understand that we are not exempt from suffering or pain. And anyone that says that they should be that's just bad theology. 
In fact, we can probably expect more of it. We do, after all, worship a crucified God. But what does it mean? What does James mean by we should count it all as joy? James is not saying here, fake it till you feel it or hide how you're actually feeling, live above your feelings, pretend everything's rosy when it's not. What he is saying is that when we go through trials, we should do so joyfully because ultimately it's the trials and the temptations and the tough times in life that produce patience, endurance and a stronger faith. Our trials are not pointless. Now we know that God knows all things and that he's working in every situation, even the most painful situations. And we can take great comfort from that. We can count it all joy because we are being made more like Jesus. Consider it nothing but joy. The Greek word here is hegeomai, which means to count or consider or evaluate. Now, originally, the word was associated with governing or leading the way. There's kind of two sides to it. First of all, to remain, to abide, not to recede or to flee and to hold fast to one's faith in Christ. But secondly, to suffer, to endure, to bear bravely and calmly, even amidst ill treatment. It's quite a comprehensive word. So when James says to count it all joy, he's encouraging his readers to evaluate the way that we look at trials. He's inviting us to develop a new and improved attitude that considers trials from God's perspective. And he, wants his, he wants us to know that we can expect trials of various kinds in the Christian life, that we should be prepared for them and not be caught off guard when a sudden trial comes upon us. Trials are part of the Christian experience. It was Jesus himself who told his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. Boy, was he right. <laughs> the whole of life is a test. And we've already faced several tests this morning as we gather to worship. First test for me was, Will I hit the snooze button, stay in bed? Not that I get this choice, but some of you might have thought, I'll skip church today, a bit tired today. Well, you passed the test, well done. And if we look around the faces on our screen when we're all shown, there are others who are not here. They did not pass the test. You passed the test, you chose to endure and to do what you know is right, despite how you might have been feeling. We had tests at school. I hated them. 
but they were important and they still are. They're designed to help us. They need to, they're there to show us how well we've studied and learned, how much we understand and can think about what we've learned. Or do we need some help? That's why we have tests. Not to see if we're up to a certain mark, but to see how our learning process is going. Well, James encourages us that the daily tests, the trials and temptations are meant to strengthen us and to help us to move in the right direction. When we fail a test, we don't get kicked out of God's kingdom, just like we weren't kicked out of school for failing a test. But we should be listening for God to say, hmm, maybe you need to work on that a bit more. And the next time, we can do it just a bit better. A good result inspires us and encourages us to do well again. A not so good res uh, result can encourage us and inspire us to do better next time. Consider it joy, says James, when you face trials because in every one of them is a test. And therefore there's an opportunity for us to grow to evaluate ourselves and to move forward stronger than we have before, to grow more towards God. Or to learn, as was spoken about last week, to lean in more to God. Well, typically a trial is not an occasion for joy, is it? And James isn't suggesting that we pursue trials or we court hardship. Neither are we to pretend that trials are enjoyable to endure. Trials are difficult and painful, but they have the potential of producing something good in us. And for this reason, they are an opportunity for expressing joy. Knowing there's a bigger picture, we can consider trials as things to rejoice in. Now, even though joy is contrary to our normal reaction, none of us goes, oh, goody, this is really hard. It just goes against the grain. But in spite of that, James is urging us to work on changing our attitude towards troubles from an approach of dread to one of positive expectation, of faith, of trust, and even joy. Someone I know, when something throws them out of left field, their immediate response is, what are God's trying to show us in this? What are God's up to? It's a really helpful attitude. Too often we only see trials in a negative light or we assume that joy cannot exist in hardship. Or worse, we can consider the hard times as God's curse upon us or his punishment for our sin, rather than what they really are, opportunities to joyfully mature into Christ-likeness. Not that I'm a particularly athletic person, but I think it can be helpful to view trials like training challenges for an athlete. They build physical endurance and stamina. 
The athlete looks forward to physical and mental challenges because of the benefits that will follow. If we walk through life and it's just easy all the time and we never face hardship, or if we go out of our way to avoid trials and challenges in life, our Christian character remains untested and underdeveloped, even retarded in its growth. Trials develop our spiritual muscles, giving us the stamina and endurance to stay the course. And Paul, of course, picked this theme up again a few years later, just a few years later, in his letter to the Romans, in Romans 5. We can count it all joy in trials because in them we learn to depend on God and to trust him. Faith that is tested becomes genuine faith, rugged faith, uncompromising faith, enduring faith. God works through trials to grow us in discipline. Trials help to purge our spiritual shortcomings and to mature our faith. They promote joy because they produce holiness in the life of steadfast believers. James encourages us as Christians to embrace trials not for what they presently are, but for the outcome that God will accomplish through them. The Americans often talk about secret sauce. Someone's got the secret sauce or the recipe for the secret sauce. Well, I think James shares his secret sauce here for Christians to remain steadfast in our faith in the Christian life, especially when we're experiencing trials and tests. And he gives three important lessons in today's passage on staying the course of following Jesus, even when the going gets tough. Firstly, he points us where to look when we're enduring tests and trials. Secondly, he points, us, points to us the importance of how to think when we're facing hardship. And thirdly, he points us to the one who can help when the going gets tough. Where to look, how to think and who can help. And as he unpacks these three lessons, and I encourage you to go back and read the passage again, James provides us with two key strategies to endure hardship and to reach our goal. Strategies which any successful athlete can attest actually work. Firstly, keep your eye on the prize. And secondly, work under the encouragement and guidance of your coach. Keep your eye on the prize. If we're to endure and not to fall away, our eyes must be focused on Jesus and what he's done for us in his death and resurrection. The prize James mentions is the crown of life, which we know from our series on Revelation earlier this year is given to those who endure to the end. 
It's not something we can gain by our own efforts or our merit. It's not something transient and it's not something of this world. Keeping our eye on the prize means not allowing our eyes to wander off track. Just as it is for us, comfort and security must have been tempting alternatives for Christians who were suffering in James's time. Some Christians wanted to abandon God. Others blamed God for their tough circumstances. And we know that these same challenges tempt us. But James encouraged them and he encourages us to think differently to others. Firstly, he says, don't blame God for your hardships. God only gives good things. Secondly, he says, desires from within our hearts, not God, are the source of our temptations. They can lead us to stray from God's ways when we're facing hardship in particular. And he points out the spiritual process that takes place. Now, the Venerable Bede, I don't think he was an archdeacon, the Venerable Bede, and who was an English monk, lived in the late 7th and early 8th centuries. And he pointed out three stages of temptation, which are a little bit helpful here. Firstly, there was the point of suggestion. Secondly, experiment. Just give it a try. And thirdly, consent. This is actually not that bad, it's okay. And Bede believed that it's when we reach consent that we may willingly be leaving the path that God would want us to take. When we pretend, it's okay. Well, James wants his readers to learn to discipline their minds and to trust God and to heavily scrutinize the yearnings of the heart for comfort, security and self-gratification. The things that the world screams at us as being the most important. And as we know, these things claim mastery over our minds, particularly when we're facing hardship. And thirdly, God urges us, sorry, James urges us, so does God, to have a change of mind about the source of good things in life. The old saying, the grass is greener on the other side, reminds us of how our eyes are so often drawn, to what, drawn towards what appear to be greener pastures. But we're not to be deceived, says James. We are to endure, to be patient, and to strengthen our hearts. I'm not sure who said it, but it's a very wise saying. God wants us to bloom where we are planted. One of the three vows of Benedictines is stability in the sense that they are to stay 
in the ministry place where God calls them, even when it's tough, and to stick with it. If the grass is greener, looks greener on the other side, it's time to start watering yours. Well, the second key strategy that James gives us, the first one being, sorry, I've just lost my place here. Keep your eye on the prize, sorry, keep your eye on the prize. The second key strategy is work under the encouragement and guidance of your coach. James clearly saw his role as one of encouraging and coaching others. He also see clearly, sorry, excuse me, he also clearly saw the role of Holy Spirit as the ultimate guide, encourager and coach. When we're under pressure, we may be tempted to think that the good life is to be found somewhere other than God. In the shinier, the tastier, the more comfortable options our eyes are attracted to. But the word of life through the ministry of the Holy Spirit can encourage us, discipline our minds and guide us through the way of sacrifice that comes with following Christ. The journey of following Jesus, especially in the tough times, requires us to learn to love to spend time with God in prayer. It requires us to eagerly study and immerse ourselves in the scriptures. It requires us to love, to ponder God's goodness to us. And it requires us to seek to listen to the Holy Spirit's guidance as we step into the future with faith and courage. So to draw this to a conclusion today, if we're to find true joy in the ups and downs of life, in the daily challenges of life, James encourages us just as he did those earliest Christians. We need to keep our eyes on the eternal prize. We need to discipline our minds about what is truly good for our lives and where those good things come from. And we need to welcome the encouragement and guidance of our life coach on the journey, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. May it be so. May our faithfulness, our patience, our courage and our endurance bear much fruit to God's glory and fill us with everlasting joy. The Lord be with you.